The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Now for our scripture reading. It's going to be from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, and the Apostle Paul writes this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call Of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And this is the word of the Lord. So, do invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. So much can change. In a week. Uh, Just last Sunday, I made the statement that if anyone thinks that they have achieved perfection, just a cursory glance around this world should be enough to convince them otherwise. And how much more true does that feel today? Like, I mean, how How clear is it that our world is broken, that that things are not the way they're supposed to be? Why? Like, like why are things this way? I mean, we are a people who believe that Christ has died and that Christ has risen. His work to redeem all things is finished. He said so himself on the cross. So why is this world still broken? Why am I still broken? Like, like if you're a believer in Jesus, you have been justified. You have been made right with God. You have been forgiven. You have been saved. All of that is gloriously true, past tense language. So why do you still struggle? Why do you still feel anxieties amidst a pandemic? What Why are our bodies still susceptible to viruses such as COVID-19 so that we have to do a a live stream today? Like if Jesus' work is done, why haven't we reached perfection? Our question is why? Why must we press on and persevere in this world? Our question we're asking this morning is why? And... Our question is also, how? Like, how are we supposed to be empowered to press on in a world with pandemics? How how are we, the people of God, going to be empowered to be different amidst all the fear and amidst all the panic? Like, how are we going to be a people of faith and a people of peace? Our question is how. Why and how? I don't think that it is an accident or mere coincidence that last week I told you that those would be the two questions we would explore 
this week. I don't, I don't think it is an accident or coincidence that at this moment in time, we are in the midst of a series entitled, Press On. I, I believe that God has us precisely in this place because this is precisely what we need. Our questions are why and how. And those are the questions that Paul aims to answer at this point in his letter to the Philippians because he wants the Philippians to press on. And he's shown them what that looks like practically, that they're to forget what lies behind and to strain forward towards what's ahead, towards the goal, towards the prize. That prize is full forever joy in the presence of Christ. That's what we covered last week. If you want to hear more about that, go back and listen to the podcast. This is actually our second week covering this specific text. And last week, we just looked at the practical, at what it looks like to press on practically. This week, we need the theological undergirding of all of that because Paul wants the Philippians to press on, but there are some in Philippi asking why. And there are some asking how. Those asking why, they thought they'd already reached perfection. They'd been justified, forgiven, made right with God, saved, all past tense. So why, they ask, is there a need to press on? And they became prideful and passive in their faith. They'd say, Paul, you can tell us what it looks like practically to press on until you are blue in the face. But I'm left with the theological question, why? And... There were also those asking how. Honestly, probably a larger group. The, the, the why group that thought they'd already reached perfection was a small contingent in the Philippian church. Most of the Philippians didn't think that they were perfect. No, they were painfully aware of just how imperfect they were. And that caused them to ask a different theological question, namely, how? Paul, you're telling us to press on, but how in the world is that even possible? I am painfully aware of just how imperfect I am. Paul, we are facing opposition from outside the church. We are facing affliction from inside the church. These Philippians are asking, how are they supposed to have the strength to press on? And they became discouraged and disillusioned. They'd say, Paul, you can tell us what it looks like to practically press on until you are blue in the face, but we are left with the theological question, how? Why? And how? Shades, why do we need to press on? And how? How are we going to be empowered to press on? Shades, I hope right here, I hope that, that you see how much we need theology. Without the theological, the practical falls apart. Like, I can tell you what it looks like practically to press on until I'm blue in the face. But without the why and the how, you will have no purpose and no power to press on. You'll have no foundation to keep you from being shaken to the core by a pandemic. Without the theology, without knowing who God is and experiencing who God is, then your days will be defined by the news about COVID-19 instead of being defined by what you know of Christ. 
We need an unshakable foundation, the solid rock, Jesus Christ. So, let's dive into the deep end of why and how we press on. First, let's start with why. Why must we press on? Look at Philippians 3. We're going to read verse 12. As a matter of fact, verse 12 was pretty much all we're going to look at this morning. We did the whole passage last week, and you can go back and listen to that again. But this verse, verse 12, it, it really summarizes the theology that colors this entire passage. The theology that covers all of Paul's writings, honestly, and we're going to see it peppered throughout this book, but we're going to hone in on verse 12. So Philippians 3, verse 12, why must we press on? Paul says this, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I don't know if you noticed, but right there, Paul twice wants us to know that he's not perfect. Like he doesn't want any of the Philippians or us thinking that he claims to have already reached perfection. He says it twice. First, he says, not that I have already obtained this. We know that this means full forever joy in the presence of Jesus. Paul says that, yeah, not yet. I have not yet obtained that. Second, he says, nor am I already perfect. Not yet. He anticipates being perfected one day in the presence of Christ. All you got to do is go to the end of the chapter and look at verses 20 and 21. And he anticipates a day when he will be in the full presence of Christ and he will be made transformed perfect, glorified. But Paul says not yet. He's emphasizing what has not yet happened. He has not yet made full, forever, final joy in Jesus his. But, Something has already happened. Paul has not yet made full and final joy in Jesus his own, but already Jesus has made Paul his own. That's how the verse ends. Look at it. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Already. Already, Paul fully and finally belongs to Jesus. But not yet does full and final joy in Jesus belong to Paul. Let's say that one more time. Already, Paul fully and finally belongs to Jesus. But not yet does full and final joy in Jesus belong to Paul. This is what we call the already, not yet. It's a theological framework. We see it all over the New Testament. We talk about it a lot here at Shades. And this is why we must press on. Because this is what we live in, this already, not yet. This is, this is why we must press on. This is why our world is broken, still broken, even though Christ has died and has risen again. Because we live in the time of the already, not yet. Already, Christ has taken sin and death upon the cross. Already he has gone to the tomb where he laid death itself to rest. Already he has risen, proving his victory over sin and death. But not yet has he returned to bring redemption to completion. 
not yet has his resurrection had its final effect. Not yet have sin and death been forever banished from this world. There's a way in which his kingdom is already present. You could could think of Christ's death and resurrection as an inauguration of his kingdom and his rule and reign, but it is not yet here fully and finally. We can think about this already not yet, not just in these big cosmic terms, but in very personal terms. Already, Christ has purchased you. Already, we are fully his people. Already, we can say with Paul, Christ Jesus has made me his own. But we must also say with Paul, not yet have I obtained full and final joy in Jesus. Not yet have I been made perfect. Not yet have I arrived in the direct presence of Christ. We live in the already not yet. We we all know what this is like through various experiences in our lives. It's like, a, it's like getting your learner's permit drive. Already, you can drive. Not yet without an adult. Already, you have a license. Not yet does it look like a normal one. It's got big, nasty red highlights on it and stuff. Um, already, the, 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 the privileges of driving are already breaking into your present reality, but driving in its fullness lies in the future. Or to paint a little bit of a different picture, we could say it's like being engaged. If you're a lady, already you wear a ring, but not yet are you married. Maybe already you've bought a place together that you're decorating, but you're not yet living there. Evidences of impending marriage are breaking into your life, but marriage in its fullness lies in the future. We could, say, we, we, we could paint the same picture in a million different ways. We, we could paint it with closing on a house. Already you own it, not yet have you moved in. Or with having a baby. Already is all of the baby gear breaking into your house, but not yet is the baby there. Or perhaps we could paint the same picture through what I think most people are feeling encroaching on their lives at this moment. Disease and death. Already the signs of death, aging, sickness, They creep into our lives. As much as we try to say, not yet, with all of our efforts to cover up age. Already through viral pandemics, death knocks on the door of our lives to remind us that it's there. But we insist, not not yet. The already not yet of Scripture is like this, but in the opposite direction, not with death, but with life. Already, resurrection, eternal life is breaking into this world, though not yet in its final fullness. 
Christ's resurrection is like a, a preview. It's an inbreaking of the age that is to come into the present, like, like your learner's permit or engagement gifts or the baby stuff filling the house. Like all of that is evidence of what's coming already breaking into the present. So also the resurrection of Christ is evidence of what's coming already breaking into the present. Full and final eternal life is coming. Full and final joy in the presence of Jesus is coming. Shades, in this world that is not yet fully redeemed, we already have a good gospel word. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again to make all things new. His resurrection is evidence of that. He will undo death itself fully and finally. When, when your neighbors ask, why is this pandemic happening? What, why is, is our world so broken? Why all this sickness and death? You can speak to why the world is not yet perfect and why they feel like it should be. There is a way things should be. And you can speak to why they are not yet that way. And even greater, you can share that you already have good news. You, you can groan in the not yet with your neighbors and you can already glory in what's coming. This is, this is Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We, Christians, who've tasted the already. We've tasted through the Holy Spirit. We've got a small taste of what's coming. We have the first fruits of what's coming. Christ as the resurrected one is called the first fruits of those raised from the dead. We get this small taste, but even we groan. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan. Groan inwardly. Why? As we wait. We wait for what's not yet here. As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. As we wait for Easter to have its final effect, for what Christ's resurrection began to be brought to completion. Shades, right now, let us groan with our neighbors amidst the not yet of this world. But let us also testify to the glory of what God has already done in Jesus. Let's, let us point to the resurrection as the inbreaking evidence of what God has promised to do to all of creation and to all who trust in him. Reverse sin and death. Give us full and final joy in Jesus forever. Shades, already we fully and finally belong to Jesus. But not yet does full and final joy in Jesus belong to us. And this is why we must press on. Yes, we've been justified, made right, forgiven, saved. But that's just the beginning of God's work in you through Christ. He intends to continue that work in sanctification until he brings you all the way home to glorification. Philippians 1 and verse 6, he who began a good work in you, he began it, 
He will bring it to completion in the future. Not complete yet, but he will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. It's not yet complete, but it's already begun. And this is why we must press on. But that still leaves us with the question of how. Like we might be saying, Paul, I get why. Okay, I get why we must press on. But how in the world is that even possible? Like, how am I supposed to find the strength to press on in a world of pandemics? Amidst all the fear and panic, how are we going to be empowered to be a people of of faith and peace? How are we going to keep from becoming discouraged and disillusioned? That's our second question. How can we press on? I think we need to look at verse 12 again very carefully. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. I do. I press on to make it my own. Paul does that. Paul presses on. He's responsible to do that. Another way he said the same thing in this letter is going back to chapter 2 and verse 12 where he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You do this, Shades Valley. You do it. Work it out. Work out your salvation. Or that's another way of saying press on. Or we might say persevere. The New Testament is full of commands for us to to persevere in the faith. You do that. You are responsible to persevere. Paul is responsible to press on. I'm going to be honest, that freaks me out, Shades. The fact that I'm responsible to persevere and to press on, that freaks me out because I know I don't have the strength to make it. I don't have what it takes to persevere in this life. I don't have what it takes to press on. So the fact that I'm responsible to do that freaks me out. Unless, unless someone else provides me with the power to press on. This is why we need the rest of Philippians 3.12. Paul says, I press on to make it my own. I do that. I'm responsible to do that. But how? How can you do that, Paul? He answers, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ has done something that empowers Paul. Christ has done something that empowers his pressing on. What has he done? Christ has taken possession of Paul. Paul belongs to him. Christ bought him with his own blood, and he bought him in order to bring him all the way home into his presence where Paul would enjoy full and final joy in Jesus. This is God's sovereign purpose, and it will not fail. The people that Jesus' blood purchased will all make it home to perfection. His blood will not fail. This is the sovereign purpose of God. Paul is his own, and he does not lose his own. Listen to the words of Jesus, John chapter 10 and verse 28. Jesus said, I give my people eternal life. It's eternal because it's eternal. They're not going to lose it. It doesn't stop. Just in case, 
We don't get that. He makes sure we do. I give my people eternal life, and they will never perish. How's that going to happen? And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You are in the grip. You've been purchased and you belong to the Son, given and gripped by the Father, all in the power of the Holy Spirit. The triune God, by his sovereign power, keeps his own. Christ sovereignly keeps Paul. And Paul is responsible to press on. Christ is sovereign. Paul is responsible. These these are two truths that we talk about a lot at Shades. And we talk about them a lot because they're all over the Bible. God is sovereign. And we are responsible. We, We hold these truths in tension because Scripture holds them in tension. All you have to do is go to the very heart of our faith to see these truths held in tension. Go to the cross. Who killed Jesus? People or God? People are responsible. Pilate's responsible. Judas is responsible. Those who executed him. We, because of our sin, we're all responsible. Yet God is sovereign. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Isaiah the prophet says. Peter in his sermon in Acts 2 says that Jesus was put to death by the predetermined plan of God. And then he looks at the people in Jerusalem and says, and you lawless men put him to death. God is sovereign. We are responsible. We hold that tension because Scripture holds the tension. If you cut that tension shades, you will run into error. I mean, just think about it with with Paul right here. If Paul was to cut out his responsibility to press on and only hold on to God's sovereignty, he would be headed for the error of fatalism. Well, God's sovereign. He's in control. Everything is faded. I'm just a puppet on a string, a pawn in the hands of the universal chess player. Nothing I do matters. I'm not responsible to press on. Such fatalism shades would prove fatal to Paul's faith. You'd make shipwreck of it. Shades, that would be like us saying right now, in the midst of the coronavirus epidemic, that that would be like us saying, well, God's sovereign over what's going on with COVID-19, so you know what? I don't don't think I have to be responsible to wash my hands. I don't think I have to be responsible to not go out into large public gatherings or whatever it is that government officials are asking us to do to try and help slow this thing down. No, God's sovereign over it all. You do that, it could prove fatal. In an even more serious way, such fatalism proves fatal to our faith. We dare not cut out our responsibility. But to go in the other direction would be just as fatal. Like Let's say that Paul were to cut out God's sovereignty. Only hang on to his responsibility. He would be headed for the error of fear. I'm responsible for pressing on. It it all depends on me. I've got to find the power to press on through this life and do all that God has called me to do, be all that he's called me to be. It's all up to me. That's terrifying, Shades. Like, I, I would live my life 
constantly in fear that I'm not going to make it to the end, to the full and final joy in Jesus. I'm not going to have what it takes to press on. Such fear would prove fatal to Paul's faith. In our current situation, that would be like us saying God's not sovereign over what's going on with the coronavirus. This all depends upon us. And we will live in terror and fear and panic. Shades, we dare not let go of the sovereignty of God. It is our only hope. Paul doesn't cut the tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. No, he lives in the tension. Listen again. Listen again to how he puts these two truths together. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you see how he's putting them together? Like in in other words, Paul is saying, I am able to fulfill my responsible action because Christ sovereignly empowers it. I'm able to do this because he provides the power. God works his sovereign power through our responsible action. That's how he puts these together, Shades. That's how I believe all of Scripture puts these two truths together. God works his sovereign power through our responsible action. Our God is a God of means. He works his power through things and through people. Think of it this way. Every nail in every board on the face of this planet is there because God willed that it be there. Every single one of them. How did they get there? By means of a hammer. God works his power through means, through things. The nails that were driven into the hands of Jesus Christ were driven there because of the will of God. No nail on the face of this planet is any different. He works his sovereign power through our responsible action. This is how prayer works. Another example. When when you pray, what makes your prayers effective? Only if God is working his sovereign power through them. And he's called you to be responsible to pray. His sovereignty does not eliminate your responsible action. It empowers it. His sovereignty does not make your prayers meaningless. It makes them meaningful. How else would they be meaningful? God's sovereignty does not eliminate our responsibility. And our responsibility does not limit his sovereignty. No. Why? Because God works his sovereign power through our responsible action. That's how, how we can press on, Shades. That's how Paul presses on. He tells us that. He puts these two truths together that way, not just here, but all over this letter. All over this letter, he tells us God works his sovereign power through our responsible action. I'll give you just a few. Philippians 1 and verse 6. I already read it earlier. And I am sure of this, that he, that's God, who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. God will do this, Philippi, sovereignly, by his power. But how's he going to do it? All you got to do is read a few verses later in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and Paul prays that Philippi will live in such a way that they will be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. God's going to empower you. He's going to sovereignly bring you there to the day of Christ, and you're responsible to live that way. 
they're going to be empowered to do it because God is going to sovereignly empower them. God works his sovereign power through our responsible action. One of the easiest places to see this is in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. I mentioned it earlier. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You're responsible to do this. Work out your own salvation in every area of your life. In other words, press on. But how? How are you going to do that by God's sovereign power? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who is empowering you. God works his sovereign power through our responsible action. And that's what's going on right here in Philippians 3 and verse 12. Paul says that he presses on. He's responsible to do that. For the rest of this letter, he's going to tell us that he does it by God providing his power sovereignly. The easiest place to see this summarized is in the most popular verse in the entire book, Philippians 4 and verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things. I, I do them responsibly, me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm responsible to do all that God calls me to do, and I do it by the sovereign power that he provides through Christ. This is how Paul presses on. And Shades, this is how we can press on. Right now, like in the midst of of everything going on, our God is sovereign. He is not surprised by any of this. He has not lost control. There is not a rogue molecule in the universe. He rules them all, even the ones that make up COVID-19. And yes, I, I understand that when we talk about God's sovereignty like that, it causes all sorts of questions in our heart about if he's sovereign over such things like that, then why does he allow them to happen? Here's the deal. Sovereignty may cause us to ask questions, but it also fills us with hope. Because it means that God rules and reigns over all these things, he can do what he's promised to do. Bring them all to an end. Bring all suffering to an end. If God is not sovereign, I've got a lot less questions about suffering. Why isn't God doing anything about this? Well, he's not sovereign. He can't do anything about it. If God's not sovereign, I've got a lot less questions about suffering, but I also have no hope. If God is sovereign, and he is, then I may have questions, but I also have faith and hope-filled comfort. That is what sovereignty should produce in our hearts. Not fatalism, but faith and hope-filled comfort. Shades, this is how you can press on in the midst of a pandemic because you have faith that the sovereign God is providing you with power every step of the way. This is how you can testify to your neighbors of your faith when they are grappling with fear because you have a sovereign God to trust in that is empowering your faith. This is how you can show our community, peace that passes all understanding, even though so many are panicking, because you know and trust the God who is sovereign over it all. Shades. The the reason that so many people are filled with fear right now is because moments like these strip away the illusion that we have that we are sovereign over our lives. 
that we're in control. But pandemics reveal the fragility of our way of life. You can barely get toilet paper right now. And much less many of us go to work or to school or turn on the TV and watch sports. Pandemics reveal the fragility of our way of life and the fragility of our very lives. Shades, it's almost as if the entire world has entered into the season of Lent with us right now, as COVID-19 says to every person on the planet, from dust you came, and to dust you shall return. And Shades, we get to cry out and say, so repent and believe the gospel. People are panicking because the foundations upon which they have built their existence, Wall Street, career, kids, community, whatever, the foundations upon which they have built their existence seem to be crumbling down to dust. But shades, we can point them to the solid rock that does not move in times like these. Christ, people are looking for solid ground to stand on. Something sure that cannot be shaken by any threat. You have the solid ground shades and his name is Jesus. Give him to the world. We are responsible to do that. And such responsibility shouldn't fill us with fear, but with faithfulness and a heart full of conviction. God's called us to this, and he's going to provide the power for us to do this. Let that fill us with faithfulness, with conviction, that we can testify to the world of the reality of Christ. Responsibility should not fill us with fear, but with faithfulness and a heart full of conviction. For God will work his sovereign power through our responsible proclamation as we declare the already in the midst of a not yet world. Let us press on, shades, in faith that God provides the power for every step we take. Let us persevere, knowing that He is preserving us by His power. Let us witness to the world that Christ is of surpassing worth. By pressing on. Let us witness to the world of his surpassing worth by pressing on towards full and final joy in Jesus. Let us press on. This is why. And this is how.